Anderson flew off indoor. What a year had it been. The Bucks are the world champions. Moncrief going inside. Play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're going to win in six. Hello and welcome to the 10th edition of the Win in Six podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host and the site's editor-in-chief, Adam McGee. Joining me today are three of our great contributors at the site. As usual, we have Ty Windish and Jordan Tresky. And making his podcast debut, for us, we've got John Heffernan. Um, we'll start off, as I mentioned, first of all, this is our 10th podcast. So for those of you who've here from the start and you've persevered, I'm impressed and thank you. Um, we've got... So, so something a little bit different again, much like we did last week. We're going to look back at some books history. Those of you who listened last week will have a little sneak peek, and we'll get down to that a little bit later. But first of all, we had some actual books news today. Um, for anyone who had thought maybe the off-season was over, last week we discussed that where the books going to bring anyone else in coming up to training camp. Well, we got our answer today, and that was yes. Um, the book signed Milwaukee native Marcus Landry hasn't had much NBA time recently, but as a player to come in as a backup forward, he'll get a chance to prove himself in training camp. What are your guys' thoughts on Landry? How much do you know about him? Have you any experience from him from his time as a Badger, even? Uh, well, I, I live very close to Milwaukee, so I've heard of him the last couple of years. Well, not the last couple of years, but the years before, like in high school and college. So he was kind of a big name. Um... But after that, obviously, you kind of, you know, since he went on draft, you can't really, you know, you don't really follow up what he's doing in the D League, obviously, in the Euro League, too. So you kind of, I lost touch with him, obviously. But it's, I mean, it's a cool story, if anything, you know, kind of Milwaukee native signing with the Bucks. But uh, it actually kind of reminded me of, you know, how Chris Copeland came in the league, kind of, you know, didn't really have a spot, played over in the in Euro Leagues, obviously. And uh, they're not like I don't think they're the same exact age, but you know, kind of the same type of player at least. And uh, I don't think I'm, I well, I don't know if he'll make the team per se, but it's you know, cool uh, opportunity for no doubt. Yeah, I think it's a cool story. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be much more than that. Uh, I'm just pulling up some of his Euro League stats right now. Uh, he was a pretty good three-point shooter. He shot about 38 percent. But that is off a shorter Euro three-point line. Uh, yeah, it looks like he's a, a pretty average-ish small forward. Don't know if he'll actually end up making the team, but uh, it's definitely a nice story. And why not give him a chance to compete? It doesn't really cost the Bucks anything at all. And like uh, Adam mentioned last week, we weren't getting one anyone in training camp. There was, like, no invitees except for Jorge Gutierrez. So we might at least bring someone in. Why not someone from Milwaukee? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's an interesting pickup. I mean, as you guys have mentioned, it's good uh, 
bringing a Wisconsin native, someone from Milwaukee, someone who played in Madison. Um, it's a, it'll be he might bring a little more excitement to training camp in that way. But um, I I don't even know if he'll end up making the roster. I mean, I watched a little bit of his highlights, like in uh, the Euro League, and um, I kind of I I've been watching Badger basketball for as long as I can remember. I kind of forgot about him a little bit, so I kind of watched some of his old stuff. And he plays the exact same way he did in college as he does not as he did last year in uh, the Euro League. Um, he I don't know. It's kind of interesting. He can make. He can make the three pretty well, um, as, as Ty just said, and uh, I I don't know. I don't really know what he's going to bring. I think he's worse at everything besides maybe getting rebounds than Copeland, so I don't really see much opportunity for him, but um, maybe he could make a little bit of an impact, but I doubt he'll even make the roster. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean... He doesn't look like a player from, from anything I've seen who has progressed a lot since his college days. I think that's a fair point. Um, the thing I found amazing having, I suppose, as someone who doesn't really follow Wisconsin college basketball and not really haven't come across him before, is just how similar he is in his playing style to his brother Carl. Um, he's basically just Carl with, with slightly, more, slightly more range to his game. Um, for the books, that's going to be really important. I think... Straight away, uh, there is there's a lot of oh well, it's a really nice story, and there's no doubt about that. I, I don't know. I think if he really came in, if he shot the ball well in in preseason and through training camp, he's probably got a better chance of making the roster than anyone thinks. We've all agreed there's far too many point guards on this roster at the moment. With Gutierrez looking likely to be cut, I mean, if the if the books did want to go in with 15 players into the season, I'd probably still lean towards they're more likely to want to leave roster spot open and see how things play it out. But if they did want to, he's a guy that they could look at. Do you not think that that three-point shot, it just adds something a little bit extra? Um, particularly as just it's more insurance than anything else. I mean, another forward, it's not, it's not absolutely necessary, but at the same time, with the injury doubts surrounding Parker, definitely surrounding Demi and Inglis as well, would the security of another guy who's proven he can knock down shots, would that help? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people that weren't really, that thought that, you know, he's an official signing, quote-unquote, uh, that he could give uh, Johnny O'Brien some competition, and that could be the case. Uh and I think, yeah, I think just that shoot, that ability to shoot from uh, beyond the arc is really important, obviously, for a team that wasn't the best at that last year. Um, so I, I think that could give him a little bit of an edge. Uh, you know, I just, you want to see if it actually occurs, but, you know, it definitely gives him an edge at this on paper. Yeah, I mean, I guess it all comes down to if he ends up being a good NBA three-point shooter. He's never really proved himself at that level from three. Uh, the Euro line's a little shorter. He had a really short stint in the NBA. Uh, I don't know exactly what he shot from three-point range. I think it was decent, but he only played... Mid-30s again. Mid-30s again and 111 minutes, so probably not too many shots. Um, I don't know if he can come in and consistently knock him down. 
Uh, we've talked about Copeland a lot. Depends on his teammates if he makes threes. So I'm not sure out of the two which who's the better shooter. Uh, uh, Landry might be better than Inglis is right now, but I don't think the potential's there. He's already 27. But uh, maybe he makes the roster. I mean, I, I guess we shouldn't write him off entirely before seeing his training camp. I guess the the thing for me in terms of that makes me think twice about it. And it's it depends, I suppose, on what side of the fence you sit on it. But a lot of books fans seem to be classifying Copeland as a small forward. I just don't feel like he's going to play a lot at the tree for the books. I think he's going to be a stretch four, and, and that's the purpose they brought him in for. Now, obviously, he can play there, and depending what way, what way the rotations are shaking out, or what what sort of adjustments kid wants to make within a game, he can go to the tree. What do you guys think Copeland's position is going to be primarily though once the season kicks in? For, I think he, um, I think he's more of that. What Jared Dudley was after, especially after Parker went down. Obviously, they kind of he, you kind of come to the conclusion that he's the next Jared Dudley, or that's what people are hoping. But he's definitely going to be that more of that role. I just don't, I just don't think defensively he could play against threes. You know, he's not particularly that athletic, especially as he's getting older. Um, and I think his his that that is his strength is to stretch the floor at the forward position. You know, against bigger guys or you know, not the most athletic fours. Yeah, I I do. I I think he's going to be mostly mostly at the four. Um, I I think part of the Landry thing. This was something else we we touched on. It was back around the draft. Um. It was really in regards to Looney. We mentioned at the time, look, with so much positive change around the books, and I guess with everything coming through with the new arena, the idea of a player from Milwaukee on the team was was something that really struck a chord with a lot of fans. I think that's definitely the case with Landry. Um, I've been amazed today with just how passionate some fans seem to be about Max Landry. (laughs) It completely blew me away, but then at the same time, I guess... It is. It's a nice thing to see, and it's something different. If he could make the roster, that's great. That's great for the whole community to see a local guy come through and contribute in the NBA. That's going to mean something. I I know Ty's mentioned the three-point line is going to be the question for him, and whether he can adjust to the NBA. I'm I'm pretty confident he can because it's not just in Europe that he's shot well. Okay, a tiny sample size, he shot well in the NBA, but he was a three-point champion D League. Um, he shot in around the 38% all through college as well. So basically, his, his whole way through at all different levels, he's been pretty consistent in around that mid-30 mark in terms of shooting. Um, so all in all, very impressive um, in terms of his shot. We'll see how it plays out. I'm now thinking about the fact Landry's being added. Maybe they're going to add some more guys before training camp rolls in. What do you guys think? Do you think it might just be Landry and Gutierrez? Or... Will they take a look at some other guys? I guess the the trend around the rest of the league is veteran scraps, I suppose, that are left over to take a look. You've guys like say Jason Richardson signing deals. You see the books taking anyone on just to have a look at them for for training camp, or do you feel this will be it? They might like something in Landry, but if it's not him, it's not going to be anyone. Maybe K Butter. I don't think he's been snatched up by anybody yet. Might as well give him a look if he is healthy. They could sign him to a deal and jettison some of those other point guards or 
trade him or even just outright cut him. I mean, a three million hit from Bayless or uh, I don't Gutierrez is probably nothing. Uh, I think just like we talked about last week, K is definitely worth that. But uh, we'll see if they decide to bring him in or just let him sit for a while. I don't know how long he'll be available, but we'll see. Maybe they, maybe they uh, bring back Michael Eric. You never know. <laughs> I want to put it past them. Uh, the chances are very high that they'll bring back Michael Eric. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe, maybe another forward... Another big, definitely a big man. I, I mean, that's Eric makes so much sense there, but I don't know if they even want to take a look at a guard. They have so many guards as is. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it's necessary for them to look at a guard, really. Um, I guess moving on then from from training camp, we'll, we'll get back to that. I'm sure in the next few weeks, and we'll see how that plays out, and if there's any other additions. Um, this was one of one of the big things that would have jumped out of, of Bucks fans this week is the way Giannis has been performing uh, for the Greek national team again. Um, it's always it's always a slightly contentious one. Um, we we had an article up on the site earlier about it, just about how Bucks fans should feel maybe watching Giannis play his basketball, whether it's for his national team or anywhere else during the summer, and particularly after what happened to Dante Exum last week. Uh, but at the moment, it's it's all been positive for Giannis. He played 14 minutes for Greece again the other night, and he had 13 points in that time. I don't know how much of it you guys seen, or if you've seen any of the highlights, uh, but so much has been made of it looking like Giannis has bulked up over the summer. Um, in in the clips I've seen from the game the other night, that really showed as well. He was he was sort of was bullying his way inside, and it was it was really nice to see. It was like a new dimension to his game. So did you guys notice that, and do you feel that's something that he'd be able to translate to the NBA? I think so. I think uh, it's just continuing what he was doing uh, at the end of last year, the ability to you know create ways or get in space kind of thing. Obviously, his range isn't that much, or wasn't that much last year, but he's, his shot is starting to look more fluid. Like You may not like tell right away, but after a few attempts, you could tell that he's to work on it. Obviously, it's summer too, so it's the time to work on it. But he just looks more confident and a little, you know, pissed off at times. I've, you know, that kind of fuels his uh, game. It seems like, but uh, he's definitely looking more polished as uh, time goes on. Yeah, maybe we'll get some more uh, Giannis stink face this year. He's gonna play mad more. Um, I think it'll definitely translate. Uh, I have no idea who it was that reported this. Maybe one of you guys will know. But I remember reading on Twitter, or maybe Reddit a week or two ago, that uh, GMs said they could see Giannis playing at four or at the five for minutes. Like, he that has was, the body. That was John Hammond, wasn't it? Yeah, that was John Hammond, yeah. Oh, was that Hammond? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was John Hammond who said that. But, yeah, he, could see, he said he could <laughs> see Giannis playing all over like that. So um, so that's why this is going back a little ways. My mic was messing up. But I could see Copeland playing more three because you could rotate Giannis and Jabari at four, Jabari once he comes back. And then Copeland could be three, and Giannis could just bump up for some minutes, or Henson could bump down. But, uh, yeah, I think definitely just being bigger and madder will translate to the NBA well because Giannis can just run over people. Yeah, 
I think something I really like to see uh, that Jordan mentioned a little bit is uh, his his the way he's shooting the ball right now. I feel like he's his confidence, especially with the three point shot. He just doesn't he doesn't hesitate anymore. Um, I mean, and I didn't get to I didn't get a chance to watch the game, um, but I have watched a, pretty much all the highlights I could find, and he just looks really confident shooting the ball. Um, something else I noticed is uh, he looks really good. Um, taking contact in the lane and getting the ball up and getting it in. Um, he doesn't just use, like, his freaky athleticism to dunk on people all the time. Like, he can he can absorb a little contact, maybe kind of have to fade away a little bit, um, put it up, and he, he seems to have, like, really good touch when he does that. And uh, I think the confidence in his shot, especially kind of deeper, uh, deeper range and um, – taking some contact and finishing. I think those skills, I mean, it's going to be harder in the NBA, but um, I think those will translate too. Yeah, I wonder if we're... Oh, sorry. No, go on. I wonder, I wonder if we're finally going to see the uh, T-Mac, what was it, T-Mac scoring fetus? Is that what Bill Simmons said? Uh, is this yeah, going to be the favorite for that? <laughs> How is that not everyone's favorite quote ever? Every Bucks fan, at least. A T-Mac scoring fetus. Is he honest? That's a Tacumbo. But, I mean, if he keeps playing like this in the NBA and if those shots start falling, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that big year three explosion. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the thing that I notice, uh, it's touching on what John said there, definitely when he when he goes towards the paint, there's something just a little bit a little bit tighter about him and not, not in a bad way. We're all used to sort of just his long arms, his athleticism. He just sort of bundled his way down court. And then maybe in a, not dissimilar to how uh, Michael Carter Williams often would, you just see sort of arms flailing everywhere in the paint at times. In in the clips that I've seen of him for Greece recently, when he gets to the paint, he's in much more control, and he can he can take that contact and look to finish. He's just more confident even in, in drawing fouls, uh, and that can only be something that's that's a really big deal for the books going forward. An interesting dynamic that I've thought of a few times over the summer is. I guess last season, and a lot of the talk around the books, yes, they're interchangeable, but people have really looked at Yanis at the three and Jabari at the four. I'm sort of feeling that's going to flip, though, pretty quickly. I mean, if Jabari shows that that consistent mid-range jumper he had last year, if he, if he can stretch that out even a little bit more, just Yanis' size, and now that he's, he's bulked up as well, it just makes so much sense to move him towards the front court a little bit more. Is that how you guys now see it fall in the long term, that Giannis will be the four and maybe Jabari will be the three? I've always thought that way to begin with. And I think that's why, um, you know, I really like Parker coming out of the draft, but I was kind of more partial to Wiggins at the time because of his ability to... He wasn't. He's not necessarily a shooting guard, but he's he. It felt like on paper to me, he fit more well with Giannis. But that was at the time where Giannis is, you know, that was after one year of seeing him playing on a terrible team, to be honest. But uh, you kind of see him how he's playing now, and you know, hopefully if Jabari comes back fully healthy and even more developed too with it, it's it's gonna be scary seeing them together on the court. I, I mean, they're not fully developed as shooters, but just the, the fact that they can dry the will and, and make shots and, you know, create fouls. I wrote about this the other day, that the Bucks weren't that good of a free-throw shooting team 
not efficiently wise, but they just didn't get to the line much. But you can see as Giannis at the end of the season, he went drove in the paint more. He got more fouls, and it he was you know second on the team. I just think it's gonna be, hopefully, fingers crossed. It's gonna be really scary seeing them play together and try to create an offense. It's gonna be really cool to see. Yeah, I think definitely the two of them sort of both. They're definitely mid-range and in guys right now, both of them. Neither is a, a threat, a real threat from three-point range. But having both of them with really good, you know, paint and a little bit outside of it, offensive skill sets, just imagine how nice that's going to be for Chris Middleton. I mean, you're going to have defenses who really have to worry about Giannis and Jabari and, of course, Greg Monroe all inside. And, I mean, is the spacing going to be a little worse because of it? Yeah. But if you leave any of those guys in a one-on-one, -on -one, they can probably get a shot. If you double any of them, either one of them's open very close to the basket, MCW's open, and then he kind of just misses a three, or Chris Middleton's open, and then he'll almost certainly make the three. So I think that's he, he's going to have, a again, again, another career year for him, just because defenses are really going to have to be preoccupied with Giannis Monroe, and when he comes back and finds his position, Jabari. Yeah, I I don't know, man. I, positionless basketball is the name of the game right now for the Bucks, and I don't even. It's it's so hard to say where these guys are going to play. I think I think they're going to stick with what they've been saying with Jabari at the four. Um, but I think that's going to be more, and Giannis at the three, but I think that's just going to be more of an offensive thing. Um, I don't know. I think I think Jabari, I mean, if he comes back, you know, and is what we kind of think and hope he might be when he comes back, I think him at the three this year should be really good. Um, he should be able to, you know, drive a little better, a little more crisply than Giannis, though we have seen a lot of development in Giannis in that part of his game. Um, but I, I guess defensively, I think is where Giannis is going to be like kind of entrenched in the four. Um, I think he'll be able his height, his strength, his new strength. I think, uh, I think he'll, he'll really cause a lot more havoc down low defensively. I mean, and he can play away from the hoop easily because he's so athletic, but, um, an interesting thing that, that always crops up and time mentioned it there is, of course, we're still talking about the book spacing problems. I'm starting to wonder, I don't know, I don't know how much three-point shooting that starting five needs to not have problems. If Jabari can consistently knock down his mid-range jumper, if Giannis can do that, as we saw last year, basically all the team needs is to... They don't want to be corralled into a situation where they can only score in and around the basket. And that's once once they have players who can add a little bit of range to that, they can get away with it. Now, we've we've joked about video clips we've seen the last couple of weeks. And I don't know if you guys saw Michael Carter-Williams in the Team USA exhibition game. Um, but he did. He made a, a pull-up jumper. and um, was a pull-up tree in transition. So... There's always that to be excited about. We can always overreact to one May three pointer, <laughs> as we've been doing all off season. Um, but I'm I'm actually starting not to be so concerned about the spacing within the starting five because okay, we all know Middleton is, isn't going to have any problems in that regard. But if Giannis can carry over that confidence he's been showing, 
even if it doesn't stretch quite as far as the three-point line, it's not everyone's favorite shot in basketball anymore, and I guess that's the way analytics has pushed us. But if you can make the long two-pointer, it's just as, as effective in terms of creating an offensive flow for the team. Um, you might be missing out on that one extra point. The shot mightn't be quite as efficient, but it has the same effect in stretching out the defense and creating creating opportunities inside. Going back to, to Giannis and, I, I guess, his position more specifically, the center thing is really interesting. Of course, he's got the he's got the height, he's got the length to get away with it in theory. How do you guys feel about that idea, though? I'm, I'm still struggling to buy into it. I know he's bulked up. I don't think he's bulked up that much. Um, to be to be able to hold his own against most NBA centers when he's in the paint when he's playing inside. I don't think I love he would it. ever. Oh, I, I, I love it too. I love it too. You can go, Jaden. <laughs> I I love it. I uh, I don't think I don't think it's obviously you kind of think like oh if he goes against like guys like um why am I forgetting you know like, like Whiteside, Gobert, or even like a new guy like Okafor. I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening in the, in the next couple of years. It's more of a small ball thing, but it's just the ability for him to. I, I think it's it's more defensively that he can go against a small ball guys like you know maybe against Draymond Green. We'll see. You know I don't know if it'll be that good, but uh, I just think it's just another opportunity for him to to be another positionless guy. Basically, he can just do. So many different things at a very at a position that where many players can't do it. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea. I don't see him starting there, like for a season, but definitely just like like the Warriors do with Draymond Green, just putting him in there for small ball against certain lineups. Uh, if Monroe's getting exploited, or I don't know who's really going to exploit him that bad. I think his defensive problems are overstated. Greg Monroe's. But uh, if he is having a lot of problems, they could always just toss in Giannis, who's a really great defender. Uh, I want to say last season, I thought he was in the top 20 defensive rating. Oh, it's win shares. Defensive win shares, Giannis was 16th. So he's around the top 20 or 25 in all defenders in NBA in that metric. Um, I feel like one thing a lot of people sleep on about Giannis is his rim protection. I've seen Giannis get a lot of really good blocks without fouling. Like, he's really, really good at that. And no one, I guess maybe because he's a three, it doesn't come up as much. But, like, the that crazy dunk he had against the Knicks last year where he did the block and took it all the way back, everyone obsessed over the dunk, but that block was a thing of beauty. I mean, he shut, I don't remember who it was, but whoever it was, he just destroyed them. He shut them down. And he never touched his body. He just went up and denied the shot and then grabbed the board and went. So against a lot of guys, he's got that Rudy Gobert stifle tower kind of thing. Like, it's hard to go up on Giannis. He's not on Gobert's level. That guy's probably going to win a couple defensive MVPs. But Giannis is pretty close. And, I mean, he's not used to playing center. It'll take him some growing pains, but he's got the rim protection. Yeah, I, uh, I think Giannis as a center, kind of bouncing off both of your guys' points, is really good for the Draymond Green type idea, a defensive, like, small ball center stopper. Um, I don't know. I mean, so far, you, we just haven't seen so much polish in his low post offense. 
So I don't know. I just don't know where how he would do in that. I think he could develop a lot of you know good like hook shots and fadeaways. I think we've seen some of his fadeaway game, and at times he can be pretty on. Um, but I think he's really far away in the development of offense and the post uh, play center full time. But as you guys said, um, you know, it wouldn't be like something he would be starting at this year, but like just kind of bringing him in for like a spell, kind of like a, a defensive strategy type thing. Um, I think it'd be a good idea. And uh, if he, if he played really well, it'd be cool to see him get more time at center. Um, but I want to know, I wonder if you guys like, think like what what that comment from Hammond means like about what they think about Henson like I don't know it's just kind of weird with what they've been saying with Henson like how they want to give him a big extension and I don't know yeah it's it's a little contradictory when you when you do consider just how prominent John Henson's name has been in in, in every sort of I guess in in every press conference or every piece of press that Hammond has done over the summer they've been so keen to push Henson to, to the forefront um, it's sort of bizarre. We don't talk about it now, but I know Jordan will remember this because Jordan claimed this article uh, about well, probably about two months ago. Now I got a DM from Jordan going, "Oh, when the Henson extension becomes official, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do that piece." I'm, I'm still, still waiting. waiting. Um, <laughs> it was it was supposed to be a couple of days, and here we are. It still it still hasn't happened. And look, that's normal, I guess, this time of year. Um, Henson might be trying to hang on to some of the other extensions come true. We saw Jonas Valanciunas was, was extended today um, and, and that's the sort of thing a guy like Henson and his agent, if they're very sense, they want to see what the table gets set at and what kind of value they can get out of it. Um, I think for me, I think for Yanis, for I agree, his, his low post offense, there's definitely question marks over that. Defensively, as great as he is, I'm not sure how he's going to hold up against really strong physical guys because you can be, I guess, as smart or technically as proficient a defender as you like. If a guy can just out-muscle you completely when you're in around the basket, it, it doesn't it doesn't count for a lot. The one thing that would really excite me about Giannis at centre, though, is just the playmaking potential of it. I mean, watching teams try to try to control the centre running down court, making plays, which is what the books could do with that, it would just be absolute chaos. There'd be carnage. Um, and that would be pretty fun to watch. We talked about Giannis playing at the point guard. I think Giannis playing like a point guard at the center would be a whole new level of fun as well. Um, one one last thing I want to, to touch on before we so as we move back in time and, and delve into some books history. Um, ESPN released their, their summer forecast standings today. Um, as they do every year, it's the sort of thing I wouldn't normally pay too much heed to, but I guess... They have the books coming in at seventh in the East, um, with a record of forty-four and thirty-eight. Whoa! How is the East that good? Uh, I don't know. I, oh, I mean, we talked oh, about this before. Like, Jordan's bold prediction was that we'll have eight teams over five hundred in the East, and I, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, mm. I mean, that's that's seventh, but they have the Raptors at forty-four and thirty-eight as well. Um, so it's about sixth. I don't know. Do you guys feel that's a fair assessment of where the books should be this season? Do you expect a little bit more out of them? I guess I either expect more out of them or less out of the Raptors. 
<laughs> How much did they give Valanchunas, by the way? I, I didn't see the extension. I was at work. 60 over 4? Yes, so 15 million a year. Oh, wow. That's a lot for someone who doesn't play the fourth quarter. Um, that's uh, Anna's <laughs> cancer money, as, as you'd normally point out at this, wow, that's this true. podcast. <laughs> you pointed it out this time. I but, just uh, get ahead of the game. That'd be like if the Bucks gave that much to Henson, though. I mean, Valanchunas has shown some stuff, but... Casey doesn't play him in the fourth quarter, and he's still really young. That's crazy. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't like the Raptors at all. Um, the thing about it is I don't think the East has gotten worse. I think they did get a little better. But, like, they still they still have to play against the Western Conference teams. Like, they're not that good. I mean, you're going to have full-strength OKC, which you didn't have last year. You're going to have nothing wrong with uh, Golden State. The Rockets, who finished second, got way better and got healthy. And I mean, you could go through every team, aside from the Trailblazers and the Mavericks. Pretty much every team in the West stayed the same or got better. Like it's terrifying. They're gonna they're gonna slaughter the East still. I just don't I don't see the East having eight teams over 500. They have some cute little teams. They have Orlando. Like oh yeah. <laughs> a lot of potential, but they're still worse than the Jazz, and the Jazz are going to fight for the eighth seed. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the Bucks are going to be probably around five or six again, maybe push four, but I, I don't think they're going to have to win 50 games to do that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've kind of said this all along. I don't think – I don't really expect a 50-win season, but I expect us to be uh, up there. For sure, I. The thing with the East is that you know, it, obviously, the Cavs are such a favorite, but everybody else. I mean, obviously, Chicago has a new coach, and they have a bunch of older players that we have no idea how they they could go. You know, obviously, Powell didn't look in year, but Noah looked like crap. Plus, their team is like twelve power forwards and then three other guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's another thing too. Uh, the Hawks they lost Carroll, but they got some pretty good. Guys, back obviously Adam knows that. Um, it just—it's a lot more even for like two to eight, and I just feel like the East—it's not gonna blow people away. But at least it can't get any worse than last year. Let's just be honest. You know what I mean? Like two teams under five hundred that made it to the playoffs. I just don't see that happening again. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I kind of think the seventh, sixth seed, that range is is pretty appropriate. I don't really believe in the Raptors, but I think all the other teams above the Bucks on the summer forecast, and I actually also think the Pacers um, might come in a little hot this year and uh, maybe push for a higher, maybe a, a little better playoff seed. Well, and I get a playoff seed and maybe pass the Bucks. I, I don't think they will, but I think they could. Um, so I wouldn't see I wouldn't be surprised to see them at seven. Um, I think they'll end up at six again. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it's hard to say right now. I, I I wish I could see like maybe five or ten games into the season and then start making these projections. But <laughs> don't worry, we'll ask you again five ten games. Into the season. You won't get off that easy. I guess I'm not I'm not as down on the East as a lot of people are. Um, I do. I think. It, 
the rankings are mostly right, but where where it does, or I look at it and I go, well, why can't the Bucks get close to fifty games? I take your point on on the West side. I, they're still going to be favorable matchups for the Bucks now. This is this is a different sort of team to to what what we've been accustomed to for for quite a while. The Raptors, I'm not at all convinced on. Um, I I don't see the Raptors being as good as the Bucks this season. The other team that once again I'm just every time I see projections for them it just I just can't string it together in my own head is the Heat. I, I still feel the Heat are the most overrated team in the East. Um, what did they have the Heat? Along with the Bulls, they have the Heat fourth at uh, 47 no. wins. Yeah. Okay. Um, they have the Bulls second with 50 wins. I think that's a big jump for for the Bulls to say that they're going to match last season. Uh, considering the health issues Rose has had, Noah has had, bring a new coach into the mix. I don't know. I mean, the thing with the Bulls and people go, okay, the Bulls are still really good. The Bulls still bring back like Kirk Heinrich. <laughs> when you're still bringing back Kirk Heinrich and Mike Dunleavy, I mean, that says a lot for for where you're at as a roster. Anytime Kirk Heinrich plays, he gets he gets absolutely slaughtered on Twitter. Analysts are always like, okay, well... <laughs> He'll he'll draw a foul here or there, or I guess he's he's sort of a clever point guard. He's not really that clever, but you just have to describe him as clever because there's nothing else you can use. There's nothing him. else. Yeah, they should just be honest. He's cheap. He's a cheap point guard. He's very yeah. inexpensive I on the court. I, I think he's about three million a year, though. I don't think he's that. Cheap. Even, I don't oh, think he's a good so NBA. You've just got to call him clever, whether it's true or not, because there's it's, not a whole lot else going out there. You yeah, think about the Bulls? <laughs> yeah, he's smart. Um, they just—they have no depth outside of power forward at all. Like, if any of their starters, besides—I mean, I guess you could play two of them, one at center. But outside of that, like, if any of those starters goes down, they have nothing to replace them with. I mean, they start yeah. Dunleavy Jr. They have contract years too. Like Noah's Noah Rose. I think Powell has a player option, so. He technically is in a contract year, and yeah, I just yeah, I'm not I'm not buying them being better than last year. I don't. Yeah. I'm not at all. I think it's wouldn't that to disservice to how good of a coach Tom Thibodeau is. And I think people might have got fatigued from watching Tibbs basketball for so long, <laughs> but they realize very quickly just how effective he was as a coach. Um, like Powell was amazing last year. But at Powell's yeah. age, and with how long he's been in the league, there's got to be a drop-off there sometime. I know there's exceptions to that. And Look, we still look at Tim Duncan being Tim Duncan after all these years. But more likely than not, we're going to see Powell drop off. It feels like Noah dropped off last year. And just that's, for a guy of his size, a history of back injuries doesn't just go away. And that, that tends to have a cumulative effect. And then... Are we going to have this once again where it's like, oh, Derek Rose is back. Look at him. Look at that dunk. Uh, and it's just, <laughs> he's not the same player and he can't he can't be. Now, it doesn't mean he won't be he won't be very close to being great still. I mean, his talent is exceptional. I would just have question marks over them. I agree with what John said. I think the, the Pacers are going to be a hell of a lot better than everyone remembers. I mean, Paul George, people might have forgotten just how effective Paul George is. He might not be one of the league's ultimate superstars, but it's the fact that he's as good as he is on both ends of the floor. And that's a really big deal. People can talk about... Look, the perfect example of it is probably Carmelo Anthony. And 
how at times that has really done the Knicks no favours at all. You don't have to be as good as he is offensively, but if you put a really strong defensive side of the game with it, that's when a player is going to be really effective, particularly in the Eastern Conference and with some of the matchups there. Is there anyone... We do this fairly regularly, but is there anyone else you guys see creeping through into the playoff race outside of that? I've got one. I know Ty has wanted us to talk about bold predictions. Um, I've got one that I think is very much under the radar. I think everyone will probably go, no, not a chance in the season will kick in, and this team is going to be so much better than anyone expects. But I'll let you guys go first. Um, is there anybody you expect to sort of break through from, from a little bit behind in the pack? I still like Detroit. I mean, I've always liked Detroit. I mean, that's a that's a good team now. I mean, their bench is a little thin. I think Van Gundy is a good coach. Uh, Drummond can keep getting better. I mean, I saw on Twitter his numbers with a, a floor spacing four. They had Anthony Tolliver, who's just in theory a floor spacing four, to borrow Adams' terminology. He's not great, but he's okay. Uh, when he was at the four and Drummond was there, he averaged something crazy like 26 and 13 on 55% shooting. Like Drummond's really good if the paint isn't crowded. The thing is, it's always been crowded. He can't shoot free throws to save his life, but he can score and he can really rebound offensively and defensively. So basically what Van Gundy did is surround him with four shooters. They have uh, Reggie Jackson... KCP can shoot a little bit. Contavious Caldwell Pope, probably the best name in NBA history. Uh, <laughs> Stanley Johnson can shoot, and we all know sometimes Ersan can shoot. So basically, he's just going to have them all let go, and if they miss, Drummond just grabs it and puts it in the, the basket. It's going to be really basic and kind of the same offense I run on 2K, but theoretically, it's going to probably work. And they're all okay defenders. KCP is good. Johnson's a rookie, but he's athletic enough. And Drummond's a pretty good defender. Are the Pistons though? Are the Pistons not just the books of a few years ago? I mean, if you talk uh, about Drummond and what Drummond's game is, Drummond's game is exactly what Larry Sanders' game was a few years back. No, he can score better than. He's not as good a defender, but he, he has, can score better. I, well, he can't really. I mean, there's no. He doesn't have anything more to his game offensively at the moment than Sanders had now. I love Drummond. I don't. It doesn't mean that he can't go beyond that. But right now, I don't think he has anything more to his game than that. And then you're going to put in at the four. I mean, Reggie yeah. Reggie Jackson. It depends how high you are on him. I don't see him as being. He's a good point guard. Um, he's maybe a very good point guard. He's he's not going to be a true star in the league. I mean, there's probably a touch of the Brandon Jennings about him. And then, of course, you have Brandon Jennings as well. Oh, yeah. if, if you want to make Drummond Larry Sanders, they can trot out Jennings. They can bring in Lissova. Uh, all they need is Monte. Yeah, Jody Meeks. Four back, Jody Meeks. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> yeah, I, they do have Jody Meeks. I forgot about him. I don't know. I, I, there's definitely a big potential for that team, and they're, they're starting to rebuild in the right way. But to me, it seems like they're going to be very average. I mean, yeah, but... Average for an NBA team is good in the East. I still don't buy the strong East. Never. Never, ever. Like the Pacers, like they have a whole new team now. They have Paul George, who just took a year off. I think they're going to start Ellis now, who just keeps getting paid, no matter that he never, ever wins games anywhere, ever. I guess it's just a coincidence. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like the East. I don't like the Pacers. I don't trust the Pacers. Um, 
Yeah, I'm kind of that. I'm not big on Detroit. Um, I certainly think they'll be better, but I don't know about playoffs. Indiana, Indiana, a little. It, they do scare me because I think at their like their ceiling, they could make it. I'm not saying this by any means, but I could see there's a world where they could make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think, because, you just I think that, George. George <laughs> I think George. Is Who starts? Good. Who starts for center for that team? Turner. Do we know? Miles Turner. Turner. Miles Turner yeah. Is it Miles Turner or is it Ian Mahimi? Oh, it's got. I think. Don't say that guy. Gotta, gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who I starts at point guard? George Hill. George Hill's still the point guard. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. buy him. Who? I don't know who their small forward. I think it'd be probably like Solomon Hill. Maybe yeah, that's exactly. a little. That's obviously George is one forward. I don't know who the other forward but, is. Yeah, George. And then is you have Monte forward. Ellis. Yeah, George is at the power. So forward. you're looking at you're looking realistically at Hill, Monte Ellis. See, they said they're going to play George at the four, but I play him at the three, and they sign Jordan Hill. And Jordan Hill could play center either. CJ Miles might get some play. That yeah, was starting up. They they have, sounds like a. This sounds like a Bucks team from a two years ago. A few years ago, to me too. No, see, <laughs> I, Ellis at the two. I think the difference is they they have some they have some talented young players, and that's like the Miles Turner. I think even whole Bucks fans were very high on Miles Turner when the team was looking at the center before we even thought about Greg Monroe coming to Milwaukee. He was a player. Oh well, if they could trade up for Miles Turner, that would seem like something worthwhile. And um, the Pacers also they picked up Raheem Christmas who. Another sort of solid young defensive player. Um, I'm pretty sure they got him in what was just the Cavs dumping him off um, to create space. So that's another player they got. They've given guys like Glenn Robinson. They've given Glenn Robinson Jr. a shot at the tree. Um, Joe Young. I think, if I remember this right, he's actually Paul George's oh, cousin. Point guard? Yeah. Um, so... They, they have some interesting young players that they brought into the mix. And I think throwing that in with George and with a guy like George Hill, who's really solid, I know I'm I'm the last person in the world who's ever going to stick up for Monte Ellis. At the end of the day, Monte Ellis scores, though. He can do that. He can take the, the weight off of Paul George in a way that he probably hasn't had with any other teammate. I mean, they tried to do that with Lance and... That comes with its own. That comes with its own issues was, when you give Lance. He was very good that one year, though. He was, to be fair. He oh, earned he that big. Time. I don't think, but his stats though, it wasn't as like impactful as people remember. He was more like all around, but not as good of a scorer as I think people thought that he could potentially be. I'm taking a guess because I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'll, I'll have them in a second, but I think he was only about maybe 14 points a game. Uh, he was I, in I, around. I say thirteen. Yeah, he was in around the seven, seven rebounds, seven assists. Let me see here. Um, thirteen point eight points, seven point two rebounds. It was actually only four point six assists. Like I mean, they're really good numbers, good all round numbers, particularly for a guy who was coming off the end of his, his rookie contract, and that, that was a big jump for him. Um, but I don't know. It, it, Monte Ellis is going to score more than thirteen point eight points a game. And for George, that that just creates a whole host of opportunities for him. George Hill is is never gonna. 
He's never going to take anyone's breath away with his play, but he's really solid and steady. I think there's there's a reason he was Greg Popovich's favorite player for so long, and mm. in that way, he's really underrated. I just think the Pacers, for the first time in years, they have some youth to inject into their team and just mix things up a little bit. And yeah, it might take them some time, and it may not be this year, but they do have potential to make a really good run. If things clicked, and if someone like Turner came in, and if he comes in, he's as good as people think he might be or hope he is. They could be really, really good. I mean, he can offer the rim protection in theory. We'll, we'll add in theory in there again that Roy Hibbert did, but he's he's definitely more mobile and more versatile offensively as well. Um, the team that I like the look of. You're gonna say Charlotte, aren't you? I'm gonna say Charlotte. Yeah. Um, okay. The reason the reason I'm gonna say Charlotte is because I think. They have, of all these up-and-coming Eastern teams, their roster is so well-rounded. They have so much depth. Um, and that's the thing in the East. There's a lot of good starting fives, and then you go beyond that, and there's absolutely nothing. But if you look through, first of all, the Hornets' starting five is going to be something like Kemba Walker. Okay, he could be inconsistent, but if, if we're talking about someone like Reggie Jackson being a good point guard, I mean, Kemba Walker is at least at that level. He's capable of even more. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to the shooting guard. They've now got Nick Batum. They're, one, one, one thing as well is they're going to be really big. They're going to have a lot of length. And if anybody knows how that can pay dividends in the East, it's got to be Bucks fans. Um, but they're <laughs> going to have Nick Batum at the two. So they'll have a player who can only space the floor. He's an excellent defender. He's just a lot more dynamic than people realize. They've got Michael Kidd Gilchrist at the three. I think it went under the radar a little bit just how good he looked at times last year for a player who had no jump shot, had no free throw uh, stroke either. He came on in leaps and bounds in, in that regard. The four is the spot I have a question mark over, but then I guess if if Frank Kaminsky turns out to be as good as, as a lot of people in Wisconsin or maybe as, as good as the Boston Celtics might have thought he is going to be, then there's going to be no issues there. And right, he's older, he's got his defensive question marks, but you've got Al Jefferson in the middle. Now, to, to run through the depth chart a little bit more, so if that's your starting five, you still, you've got a point guard rotation which has Jeremy Lin behind them. You've got Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts is just a really solid point guard. If he's your third point guard, he's just nice, efficient, effective. He's not going to do anything too silly. At shooting guard, they've got Jeremy Lamb now. I'm not sold on Lamb completely, but look, he's he's a talented young young guard who's gonna get more minutes. Behind them, they've got Troy Daniels as well. They picked up last year. I think Troy Daniels just needs more time in the right situation to really blossom. He was great in in flashes when he was in um, when he was in Houston. Moving to the tree, they've got say someone like I, I'm gonna I can't I don't have nice things to say about Marvin Williams, so this is gonna be one of the problems I'm gonna have with with the rotation, uh, but. PJ Hairston, if he can get his head straight, coming out of college, he looked like he had a lot going for him. At the four, they've got Tyler Hansbridge, just to annoy the heck out of everyone. I mean, nobody <laughs> likes him. And then at the center, they've got Spencer Hawes, favorite of many of our books uh, commenters who have wanted Spencer Hawes on the books for a long time for some reason. I just think that team is, is really well-rounded, and people are forgetting they had a bad season last year. Steve Clifford is a really good coach, and anyone who he's worked under wasn't in any way surprised by, by the, the first season he had in the league. And 
defensively the impact he had in that Bobcats team people forget just how big a jump that was it was always going to be hard for them last year and they went all in they they went after Lance Stevenson and we all know how that worked out I just think the Hornets are going to surprise people they're my eight seed sleeper you're all free to disagree with me now I, I do my problem with the Hornets is that like I think if Mike Conley is like the perennial super underrated guy Kemba Walker is the perennially super overrated guy. Last season, per 36, well, it doesn't matter for this, Kemba Walker shot 38.5%, 30% from three. He, per he 36 minutes... Yeah, exactly. He was injured. and He was injured. I mean, I don't think last season is a shining example. You're not going to find any Hornets player. Who comes out of last year? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit like it's a bit Maybe. like going back two years to look at the books. Well, for his career, he's still under forty percent from the field, and he only averages not many assists per game. I mean, I just don't. He has some cool moments. They call him Cardiac Kemba, but I don't think he's ever really put together a really good season in the NBA. And outside of that, you're just relying on a bunch of guys. You can say that. I mean. I don't know. I just, I don't, it's like just the team of the big white guys. I don't know if they're going to be good or not. I mean, it worked for the Badgers and NCAA. I just don't think it's going to work in the NBA. I just don't like their team that much. Like, they don't have, they don't have a star, and that's, um, I'm not for a minute saying they do have one, and I don't think Walker is a star, but I think he's a good point guard. He mightn't be, mightn't be the best point guard in the league, but I think he's a good point guard. And that's, that's more the point they'd make is I think they have so many good players that just overall that can come into effect and people might people might turn their nose up at that. The Hawks are living proof last year of how that can turn out. Now I don't think that I don't think the Hornets have anyone anywhere near the quality of Horford or, or Millsap. Um, Teague and Walker that's a toss up for me as someone who's watched Jeff Teague for years. Kemba Walker is just one good season away from, from being an all-star and everyone just... He's a player who could make... could consistently make all-star teams without his numbers being that flashy. He does. Maybe he is a little bit overrated, but he's a useful player. I just think overall, they're not they're not going to go and make real noise. They're not going to make any sort of challenge in the East. Um, but they're not a team who are being mentioned in the playoff mix by anyone really that I've seen. I think they're going to be right there for the eighth seed. I think the other thing is they really need Al to have a good season, Al Jefferson. And I just, I mean, he's got injury problems. He kind of seems to have the sort of Greg Monroe in Detroit, bleh, Charlotte problems, although he did opt in. So who knows, maybe he's going to come back and work really hard. But, I mean, old centers with back, any centers with injury problems are really scary. See Joel Embiid. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they can all work together, and it'll be like two years ago. I'd like to see. I like Kemba Walker. I don't dislike him. I just don't think he's shown enough yet. But a lot of people act like he's really good. I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe I'm stupid. I I kind of think the problem with Kemba is the same problem with uh, that you guys talked about with Reggie Jackson. He's he's good. He's a really good player. He's a good point guard. But I think the, the saturation level of really, really good point guards in the NBA is pretty high. Um, a little lesser in the Eastern Conference, but, I mean, 
if you ask me right now who I'd rather have, I would probably rather take Reggie over Kemba. I mean, it's close, but um, I don't know. I think – I don't know. And obviously Kemba's still really young, but – what like if Kemba Walker is your best player? What kind of ceiling? Like eighth seed in the East, seventh seed in the East in a couple of years, maybe if he gets really good, a little better. But I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say what you can do with a team with Kemba Walker as your best player. Just my last, uh, my last Reggie Jackson thing. And I'm done on <laughs> Reggie Jackson. I think Reggie Jackson is underrated because people look at oh. Reggie Jackson's whole season which is kind of dumb because he never really got... He had a couple starts in OKC, but his teammates all hated him. Uh, that's actually a real thing. It's been in stories. In Detroit, Reggie Jackson, per game, in 27 games, he started all 27, 32 minutes a game, averaged 17.6 points, 9.2 assists, 4.7 rebounds, shot 43.6 from the field and 33.7 from three. Those are good numbers. I mean, the three-point shooting isn't great. A lot of them are unassisted. But what was it, 16 and almost 10? 17.6 and 9. That's, like, really, really good for any point guard. I mean, I think that's fall. Yeah, I, I like, think it's great. I guess with Ray Jackson, first, he started 36 games for the Thunder, so he did start games because Westbrook was injured. But I, I just find it hard. People talk about the end of the... To run into the end of the season that Reggie Jackson had, I just pay absolutely no attention to that because they're like Magic Johnson numbers. I think we're all very clear Reggie Jackson is not Magic Johnson. They're, I feel like that was just an anomaly. It was great. I just don't think he's going to come anywhere close to producing that on a consistent basis. It's a toss-up between Walker and Reggie Jackson. Uh, like Walker doesn't have a whole lot to do with the reason I think the Hornets can be, can be good. He's one of the parts. I think it's more someone like Nick Batum who now coming to the East and having a team where he's not in the shadow of someone like Lillard or, or Aldridge, people are going to realize just how good Nick Batum is. I mean, he's really athletic. He's really long. He plays both ends of the floor incredibly well. He's a good shooter. Uh, and it's a contract here. Yeah, exactly. He's in a That's contract a here. Thing. And he Is he restricted? Go, um, no, I think he's going to be unrestricted. Oh, yeah. Him and Jefferson, I think, are... Yeah, Jefferson's... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he just took the option. option. This is his last year. Yeah. yeah see, and even that's now coming off the injuries and everything he had last year. Al Jefferson has to go out and have a good season if he if he wants to get paid anywhere near close to how he has been again. Um, so I just I think they've got potential. We'll see. I'll probably be proven horribly wrong on that, but for the <laughs> moment, anyway, maybe next week I'll have changed my mind. Right now, I like the Hornets as a sleeper pick. Uh, moving back to the books, let's let's go to to something that we we sort of teased out last week. It was a question we got for our mailbag last week, and um, that was so good. We said we won't just rush through it last week. We're going to it in a little bit more detail this week. Um, it came courtesy of let me how how can I not remember his handle exactly by now, but uh, at pencil two two nine two, he asked pencil. us if Bogut hadn't got injured in the way he did towards the end of his his time in Milwaukee, how do you think things would have played out, or how how much differently would things have been? As as Ty alluded to last week, it's a fascinating debate because not only does it completely change the landscape of, of how things would have panned out for the books, but for the entire NBA, that Warriors team takes on a completely new look as well. 
what do you guys feel that Bucks team ceiling could have been if Bogut was healthy? How would it all have panned out? It's very interesting. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't think they ever get Jabari. I mean, Bogut wasn't like the superstar everyone hoped when he was drafted first overall. But I don't know if he does stay healthy theoretically for the next few seasons. I don't know if they're ever bad enough to only win 15 games. Maybe they still get Giannis because that ended up being a super lucky pick. I don't know if he was even on other teams' radars. Uh, I know Chad Ford retrospectively bumped him up his draft grades, but I don't think he was that high to start with. I don't think anyone was high on him. So, I mean, maybe they still get Giannis. They obviously probably don't sign Greg Monroe if he stays in Milwaukee, and they probably never up with, end up with Jabari Parker at two overall. I don't... They'd probably be around like 30 wins a lot, like they were, you know, before the new ownership and Jason Kidd came in. Um, it's really interesting thinking about how how I thought about or think about it because I wasn't at the time I wasn't as big of a Buck fan, but obviously that was a year that you kind of thought all oh, their hopes are turning around, and to have that injury, it really, you know, obviously sucked. <laughs> but I just think he, as far as Buck goes, I think. I don't think he would have hit like where Marcus Saul is right now, but I think he would have definitely been at least like the tier below, and that would have been huge. I mean, I, his he wasn't the greatest. He didn't put up the greatest offensive numbers, but I think that year with him and Jennings, they kind of like it just I don't know. It just really worked to get for them together. And then obviously got Bogut get hurt, and it just offensively he hasn't been saved. Defensively he's He's probably even been better, but that's also at a limited amount of time, too. Because obviously the Warriors, or since he left uh, Milwaukee, he hasn't played that much uh, minutes-wise. But it's really interesting. I still think they would have taken Larry or at least another big man because obviously the depth problem would have came about because they got rid of Gazarich. Uh I think they had Kurt Thomas. Too. I mean, that's just another <laughs> name for the for the past. Um, he played with Jason Kidd yeah. on the Knicks. I'm just going to point out. So Kurt Thomas could. They're going to bring him back. Any day He's now. coming back. <laughs> He's coming back. Michael Thomas. Yeah, exactly. Ten day contract. Um, midway through the season, it'll be Kurt Thomas. <laughs> yeah, I I just I, yeah, it's really interesting how it would have gone. Not only Larry, but I think it would it really affected Jennings. Development too, because you know it's really hard to think how back that far because the the Bucks are just such a radically different team. But he was at least a really good rookie, and even the year after he had All Star buzz. Before I think he had like an injury too that kind of derailed that. But it's really interesting how that went, and then obviously the trade happened with just how you know it changed everything for the, both franchises. Just, just because you said something about it, I just went and took a look at the 2010 NBA draft where Larry Sanders was picked. I don't know if they go with somebody else if he's not No, I, I think they still, because they took Larry with Bogut still there. The, the, yeah. the big guy who wouldn't have ended up on the team is John Henson. Um, yeah. yeah. That, that's who they would have passed up on. So, I mean, I think they, they would have gone with with Larry and with Bogan anyway, but it is. It's when it comes to John Henson that I think they would have looked something a little bit different. Now, I don't know, looking at Henson's draft class, 
players who went in and around where he went and after him, which is realistically, if Bogut's healthy, the Bucks would have been a better team again. So there's not a lot there. Um, Draymond Green obviously was there at 35, but I mean that was that was looking out. Middleton was there at 39, but look, they got there eventually anyway. Um, yeah, I think it's it is. It's just it's it's fascinating to think of what way that might change things. The effect that I think it would probably have if if he's completely healthy. I mean, then the team is probably doing better overall. Brandon Jennings would look better than. Then maybe he ended up looking at the end. Monte Ellis, even by the time he came in, maybe Monte Ellis would, would have come in and everything, it all would have meshed together. And players who are now sort of looked back on not so favorably in books history would have had a completely different slant to their career because, look, at a healthy Bogan, and if he'd been healthy through all those years, his offense is one thing, but he would have been a legitimate defensive player of the year contender every year. And that really transforms your team. And then behind that... There would have been Larry Sanders to develop, and who knows, maybe if that, maybe things pan out differently with Larry if Bogut was around longer, and he had a bit more of a safety net there. It's a, it's a fascinating debate, all right. Um, for the Warriors, though, the Warriors don't become the team that won the title without Bogut in the first place. I mean, people can say, okay, Draymond Green played his time at centre, that wasn't part of the plan. And this is this is what always gets me when people look at oh the Golden State uh, blueprint for title success. They just looked into so many different things. And if that's if that's a blueprint, I mean, I don't. I think they thought Clay Thompson would be as good as he was. As I've said before, I'm pretty sure on the podcast, Iguodala was the guy who they invested in to be the star, and then they completely moved away from, him and then just you know what as. As the timing was perfect, he came back to make a real impact in, in their title run. Um, but do you think Golden State would have ended up where they were if they hadn't made the deal for Bogut in the first place? Talking about uh, they didn't expect Draymond Green to be a center. They didn't even expect Draymond Green to be good. I mean, what, wasn't he a second-round pick, like 35 overall? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Clay Thompson, at least, he went, like, what, like five overall, I want to say? Like, pretty high up. Draymond Green was a second-round pick. I mean, having this guy be a, a really, really good defensive player of the year, runner-up, power forward at six foot six, be able to play center, significant minutes in the NBA Finals. I mean, that's all a pipe dream. I mean, seriously, it's a second-round pick. A lot of these guys don't even really see playing time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it changes everything. I don't know if they're bad enough to get Clay, if they, because I think that was the year. I think he was drafted, um, like it was the draft right after the season where they traded for Bogut, I want to say. No, it was the, it was was the one the, before. It was before? Yeah. It was, I think, I want to say I could be totally wrong. I want to say he's like the 11th pick. Because like, uh, it was right oh, after. Yeah, he, was 11. he was 11 in 2011. 2011. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the year the year Boga came then, wasn't it? No. Yeah, well Well that was also the lack of year. So he was yeah. Yeah, it was it was twenty eleven, twenty twelve. Okay, so it was the year before. Boga was traded in twenty twelve. In May twenty twelve. So they still have clay. 
I just I don't think it's so barns, weird. Though. Yeah, they probably wouldn't get Barnes, and they probably would never sign Iguodala. If they have Thompson and Ellis, they wouldn't really need him. Or maybe they'd need him at forward. Maybe he'd start at forward if there's no Barnes. Well, they, I don't know what I they mean, would do. Would Clay started small the forward. Rivers. This is just a, it's it's a bit of a minefield. Um, <laughs> I, it it's amazing, but that is one deal more than a lot of others that it just it completely changed the landscape of the NBA, and maybe even it played a part in. The Warriors are one of the teams who are back in the pack a little bit in the West, and it brought them to the front. So, in, in a way, I guess it's even part of what's become this supposedly really, really big gulf in talent between the East and the West. Um, it probably plays into it in itself. I don't know. It's it's a deal that, that completely changed the way the books looked, probably for the better, we can all say now, um, even even if it didn't feel like that at the time, or maybe it didn't feel like that when Monte Ellis was chucking up shot after shot. But it all turned out okay in the end, uh, both, both for Milwaukee and for Golden State. Um just going to move on to our, our mailbag then to finish up, but just before we do, I just want to remind people, and um, we talked a little bit last week, I uh, said we were going to start this this series of, of looking to create the all-time books, uh, Greatest 15. So far, we've gone through the point guards and shooting guards. Um, small forwards should follow in around the time that this podcast posts. Um, don't hold me to that, but it should be pretty close to that time. Um, so far, the, the point guards... A clear winner, um, no real surprise. We didn't cop out on positions, so the big O has 90% of the fan vote at the moment, uh, which I don't know why there was 10% of people who didn't vote for him, but there you go. <laughs> um, Sam, Sam Cassell in second and Quinn Buckner in third. There was, let me see, I think a couple of calls for... Yeah, there was a couple of calls for Brandon Jennings as well, but <laughs> Oscar Robertson uh, in overall. Uh, the shooting guard... That one has tightened up a lot. I, I'm going to be honest, I was surprised and a little bit upset at how that, that vote was panned out. And this is controversial, maybe, because it's going to go one way or another, depending on how you look at the game as such as anything. Um, Ray Allen was something like 15, 12 to 15 votes ahead in this a couple of days ago. Um, it's now closing just four votes between him and Sidney Moncrief for the greatest shooting guard in books history. Um Michael Red has decent decent voting behind that as well. Uh, just very quickly, in in one word, before we move on to to the mailbag, who do you go between all of you guys? Is it Ray Allen or Moncrief? It's got to be the squid. I'm going Moncrief. <sighs> Moncrief, yeah. Jordan's dying. Jordan, you right you not go Ray Allen <laughs> last week. I know. You, you guys can't see, but he's I didn't like. Know you were yeah, this is why we record these things, just so we can we can hold you accountable for everything you say. <laughs> I I think I'd say Allen, but it's oh. I mean it's a wash. It's so close to me. Yeah, I'd go Moncrief because I I don't think I don't think it is that close. I just think the impact he had on both ends of the floor far outweighs a guy who. Right at, at that age, where where Alan was coming through for the books, he was so dynamic. He was a really exciting player, um. But Moncrief all around, I think, just contributed so so much to the books in the eighties. Um, yeah, for me, I, I think just just for his two way contributions, I'd go Moncrief. Um, moving on to the mailbag, um, we've 
got we've got three questions in this week. First one comes from at HS Hoops forty four. Why in God's name would any Bucks fan celebrate Marcus Landry like the second coming of Marcus Johnson? Be real, folks. This one did kick yeah. off a little in my mentions then. Um, there, it was a, there's a Twitter account. That, to be fair, it seems like they've been calling for, for Marcus Landry to, to become a book again for quite a while. Um, so they were ahead of the curve on that. And um, we'll just say some debate sparked out of this. I understand both sides of it, but what do you guys think? Why why would some book fans be celebrating Marcus Landry like the second coming of Marcus Johnson? It's from Milwaukee. I think it's I think it's about it. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I think the real answer is because it's mid August. There's nothing else happening. I mean, we talked about MCW's stepdad and him dribbling a basketball in plastic bags for like 20 minutes a couple weeks ago. Like, there's nothing happening. So, them signing anyone would have been big news. Someone from Milwaukee? Yeah. People are going to be happy. Why not? There's not, nothing else to talk about. Even if Latrell Sprewell came back, too. I mean, they, people would be freaking out. <laughs> people would be freaking out in a lot different way if Spree came back. <laughs> it's kind of feed his family, though. Who knows? Yeah, I, I think that it's. I think they are. That sums it up. That's. It's one that he's from Milwaukee, and two. I think you're completely right, Ty. It is because we'd all just given up. We 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 probably there was so little to talk about in the last couple of weeks that we talked for two weeks about how the books weren't going to sign anyone else. So just the relief <laughs> for a new name to come into the mix for everyone. Um, I think that that probably plays into it a little bit. Um. The next question goes from uh, at pencil two two nine two again. Who is Marcus Landry and what can he offer us? Why is he signed? We we touched on this a little bit earlier. I guess the way I'll phrase it this time is: overall, do you think Landry will offer anything? Do you guys see him having any chance making the roster? I made my case for him as such earlier on, but what do you guys think? I don't think necessarily the Bucks roster, but I think. I could be wrong, but I think there was a player that played for the Bucks in preseason that did eventually get a deal with the team um, last year. So, you know, not necessarily the Bucks. He can definitely get a look for another team. That's that's how I kind of look at it. Yeah, I'd say he's, he's 100% variable to answer your question. Pencil, way better than highlighters or pens or markers. Pencil. <laughs> I mean, he's got a shot. I mean, I haven't seen him play... No one's seen him play NBA minutes since 2010 or 2009, that season. He only played 111 of them then, like 16 games or something. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's in really good shape. He's added a lot to his game, grinded in the EuroLeague. Maybe he can shoot a little better now. Uh, I wouldn't count on it. I wouldn't bet on it, that's for sure. But there's a chance that he comes in with a really polished game and makes someone say, hey, if this is our 13th guy, then we have a pretty solid team and brings him in to be depth. But that's what I would say. I think the question is, what can he offer depth? He's not going to start, but he could be bench depth somewhere. If we're going to keep Johnny O'Brien, if any team could keep Johnny O'Brien, I guess we could also keep Marcus Landry. But... Um, <laughs> I kind of, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it. But um, yeah, I think 
just like what Ty said, I mean, maybe he shows something. Maybe he, he's hitting about 40% of his threes, and maybe he's, you know, banging in the post pretty well, making some things happen, and it's maybe he can play a little better on defense than we all expect. And Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I'm. I was basically playing devil's advocate earlier because I, my answer is no. I don't think he'll make the team. Um, <laughs> if he if he makes some trees in, in preseason training camp, I think he probably should make the team. I just don't feel like the books are going to go down that route. Um, last question, and it comes from probably the best Twitter handle I think we've had in any of our mailbags yet. Um, this one comes from at psbigdog62. <laughs> Who on the books has the best chance of making an All-NBA or Defensive Team of the Year? Uh, Giannis All-Defense. I think that's the easiest answer. 16th overall in defensive box plus minus or whatever stat I said. He's an absolute terror. This is going to be his probably breakout scoring season. And as stupid and messed up as it is, like, if you're not Tony Allen, like, insane defensive reputation, you kind of need to score to make the all-defensive team. It's like in baseball, guys who hit are more likely to get gold gloves than guys who don't. It's just, it gets your name out there, which always helps. But I think I don't think any of them will make an all-NBA team. Maybe, Giannis? But I, uh, I don't know. There's, there's too many great players, I think, that are already established for any of them to make any of those three teams. I mean, that means your top 15 NBA players. That's tough. Um, yeah, I think the state bet was Giannis for all the defensive team. I just think it's really easy for him. I think Milton's a really good defender, but I think we kind of know by now that individually he may not be as good as he is as like a team defender, um, but as far as all NBA goes, I did say Greg Monroe will make it to the All Star game uh, next year. I don't, I don't think I think it's still a long shot, but I would not be surprised if he does make at least he can make the third team All NBA team if he wanted to. I just don't think you there's got that many big men in the East that can. I mean, the thing I have with that, I think the All NBA team. It is, as Ty said, it's just so many guys. I don't think it necessarily always reflects on how a season plays out because reputation, it just plays into guys' head. I mean, if we're talking all-star game, that's one thing. The Hawks last year, once again, we got in four all-stars, uh, 60 wins, not one player on an all-NBA team. Yeah. And it might be unique in terms of how they, how they played the game, but I do think if, if say, Millsap couldn't make the third all-NBA team last year, with how well he played, how well the Hawks played, the books are going to have to have one incredible season for one of these guys to break through. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it'd be nice. That's surprising. I, th- I would have at least thought Horford would have gone. Well, I mean, the they probably canceled you... each other out in voting, and that's that's probably part of the problem. Is you probably have some people who'd go Horford or some would go Millsap. But look, yeah. that's I think that's part of the way it is. It it will just there just be big name guys always who just sort of slot in because. They're in people's minds from the outset, and then you go, oh, I do. I remember that sort of – I remember that showcase game that player had this season. And if you're someone who's consistent throughout the whole year, I don't know if you necessarily always get rewarded in all, all NBA teams, but maybe that's a debate for a different day. What do you think, John, uh, for a, 
anyone you you could see making defensive team of the year? Or? You know, I think uh, I think defensive team. Giannis has got a good shot, but I mean, if anyone has any kind of shot, I, I don't really think anyone would make it. But I think Michael Carter Williams maybe. Um, you know, I'm just kind of reaching for something here a little bit, but uh, I, I think MCW plays pretty good defense for his position, for the guard position, and maybe if he made some major strides, I mean, he's going to get all the playing, a lot of playing time as long as he doesn't mess it up, so uh, maybe, yeah, but it's hard to say, and yeah, I'd say Monroe has got the only legit chance for third team, and even that, I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say Monroe might have a shot going off what Jordan said because there's two guys who without injuries are certainly going to be first and second all team in some combo and that's Boogie Cousins and Marcus All. Those mm-hmm. two guys are almost certainly going to be there. Third guy is kind of up for debate. Uh, Howard was hurt a lot. He wasn't really in the conversation. I think DeAndre took it but, I mean, he had a career year. He went after the field goal percentage record, and he still only scored, like, 12 points a game. So if Monroe came out and anchored the, the offense on a team that pushed and made strides to be a top-four East team, maybe he has a case. Maybe. See, I don't think so, and the reason I don't, this is, this is something Zach Lowe talks about every year. People cheat with their... Uh, with how they classify positions on on all NBA ballots, just to fit the guys they want in as well. There's no reason to say that the, if you want, I mean, the forward positions are so stacked in the NBA, there, there'll be guys who put Anthony Davis in as a center just just to f- to fit everyone they want into an all NBA team. We've talked about Draymond Green. If he has another season like that and he's playing a decent share of the center minutes, he'll be another guy in the mix. So I I just think it's so difficult to be in the tree best players at your position in the NBA really <laughs> I don't know if it even if it's always an, an accurate representation that I don't think there's any real chance of a bookmaking all NBA team um, and that's no reflection on even how their season could play if they could have a great season and still have no one there and to be honest I wouldn't be worried too much about it for the defensive point of view Giannis is the obvious one but I agree with John MCW is he has, he has a legitimate case. If he makes strides forward, if he feels more comfortable with how good his teammates are defensively for the most part, he could end up looking really good and putting up some some really strong defensive numbers. Um, so he, he could have a surprise case for it. Um, that's pretty much it from us for this week. Um, be sure to, to keep an eye out for just the rest of that all-time books roster series. Um, we'll have plenty of other good stuff coming too, so Keep an eye out for all of our writing on BehindTheBookPass.com. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks very much to Ty, Jordan and John for joining me. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. See you.